the idea of Jesus ascended is an essential key element uh, in the uh, whole overarching story of God engaging in this world. Uh, It's critical that we understand that because very often uh, we fall into the trap of thinking about the ascension as, if you like, it's the add-on at the end, the final little bit. Uh, We've been looking at the idea of Jesus ascended in a number of ways. The first uh, thing that we did is we saw the idea of Jesus ascended as a priest. In other words, Jesus, by uh, moving his location from this world to heaven, uh, it's not just, if you like, a movement to return home even. He is active in a work, and that work is his priestly work. The idea that he acts as our priest. We all need a priest. The great news is that we no longer need a priest in this world because our eternal priest is now in heaven. That's a very different concept uh, to maybe what we think about in terms of the structure and organization of the church. One of the things that Jesus says is, I am a priest eternally in heaven. Uh, Therefore, I'm not a priest. It might look to some as though that role is fulfilled. No, that's not the case. A priest has a very specific function, which is to act as an intermediary between God and humanity. That's the priestly role, or at least part of it performs many other roles as well, but that's at least part of it. He acts in that intermediary role. We need a priest, but Jesus becomes the eternal priest, uh, which then taught, we, we see then Peter describing the nature of the church in this way, you are all priests. So there was a high priest, and then there was priests. Those priests were associated to that high priest. And Peter says that all who believe in Jesus are associated with that high priest. We all have that priestly capacity in the sense, this is remarkable, isn't it? We all now have direct access to God through Jesus. That's great news. That's the transition that takes place, as we saw, by Jesus ascended. What we looked at last uh, time was the idea, last week was the idea that we have a king who is ascended. So Jesus is a priest who is ascended. He is a king who is ascended. Last week we looked at the idea of the king on the throne, and the great news that we are associated with that king on the throne by trusting and believing in him. Uh, Very often, I I know that my Christian walk, and I guess for you, your Christian walk at times, feels as though God might be very far away. What we saw last last week was that the king on the throne is our king, who is intimately connected with his people. He knows our hearts. But here's the question, and this is what we really uh, need to think about today. Is it unidirectional? Or or put it another way, is the idea of the king on the throne up there, does that only have one relationship, i.e. our relationship to him up there? 
or does it have implications back into this world? So we might look and say, well, uh, there are a mass of different religions, of course. But we believe that uh, the uniqueness of the Christian faith is rooted in this, that the God who we worship came into this world. God who we worship came into this world. He made himself present with us and then in human flesh returned to heaven so that we in our humanity might be related and connected with him by trusting and believing in him. So in believing in him as a body of those who, as a group of people uh, here and everywhere else in the world at this moment in the world's history who believe in Jesus, we might say that we are connected in that direction upwards or, yeah, I'm going to be careful using that word upwards because we've already said heaven isn't kind of up there, it's kind of there, (laughs) that kind of hidden reality, we're connected to the king on the throne in that hidden reality. But does it have implications beyond us? It's it's important today. I guess it has real implications because Jesus ascended as a function, is not disconnected from his life and death and resurrection. We're about to enter into the Christmas time when we remember the, the birth of Jesus. Earlier on in the year, we were remembering the death of Jesus at Easter. The Christian uh, calendar is marked by these moments of remembering the life, the death, and the resurrection and the uh, ascension of Jesus. But here's the thing. Is for the rest of the world, the whole of humanity... Is the implication of Jesus ascended simply like a remembrance? Is it just remembering a death? Or does it have impact today? Is it relevant today? Is that king on the throne relevant in the direction from heaven into this world? Outside of just those who believe in him. I think this particular section that we're going to look at, which might, on the face of it, not immediately look like uh, a text that we might turn to when we think about the ascension, it will show us three things. It will show us, for a start, how Jesus is ruling on earth. Secondly, it will show that the focus of that rule is through his people, And thirdly, it will show that it has implications which are universal. So there's the three things that we're going to be looking at this afternoon. We're going to be seeing firstly that his rule is on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Corinthians is a great couple of books. Uh, There is probably another letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Uh, It seems as though it's mentioned. Either he's mentioning the previous one or there was uh, another one uh, which hasn't been uh, preserved by God's providence. But what we have is two letters to a really new church. And that really new church is, um, uh, it's like pretty much every other church 
in the, the whole of the New Testament, all of the New Testament letters are written to churches that are in the Mass in one way or another. The one that is least in the Mass probably is the letter to the Philippines, uh, but that's in the Mass as well in, in a smaller way. The letter to the Corinthians is it's in a right Mass. I, I find that hugely encouraging because it says that God works uh, not through perfect churches. He works in the Mass and reality of this world. But it also says we must consider that we don't stay in that mess. Uh, we're, we're not kind of just saying, oh, it's fine. It's okay for us to stay messed up. It's actually an encouragement and a challenge to say, here's the apostle who is so concerned about this church that he writes letters which relationally put his neck on the line in terms of his relationship with them. And here's the thing, maybe this is just a complete aside, here's the thing, there are times, there are times when we need to love each other enough to put our relationship neck on the line. There are times when we have to, in love, in gentleness, in compassion, say stuff and be honest about stuff, not in a hard way, but in a way which is just designed to encourage me to think about how I'm living. Encourage you to think about how you are living. Because the letter to the Corinthians says, essentially, don't stay messed up. But here's the thing. How does this imply on the... um, the idea of Jesus ascended. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says this. Paul is, is, is kind of going through this whole process because one of the challenges to his ability to speak to the Corinthian church is a whole bunch of other people who have come into the church and who are teaching all sorts of wacky, strange stuff. That, we haven't got time to go into it all, but what he finally says is this. The reality is that they're out for profit. They're not out for caring for you. That's at least one of the things that he's concerned about. But the other thing that he's doing is he's giving the justification of why he has the right to speak to them as an apostle of God, as somebody who is able to speak to them with authority. And he goes to them and he says, look, here's the thing. Um, The things that I've been accused of, uh, the fact that I've been shipwrecked and put in prison and stoned and beaten and all of those things that uh, these uh, super apostles, as he calls them, with a great big tongue in his cheek, he says, these super apostles are accusing me that if I was really that kind of uh, authoritative person, all these bad things wouldn't have happened. And he says, actually, they are the very vindication and the very reason They're the very foundation on which you can actually trust my words. Do you find that a challenge or do you find that encouraging? It can be a challenge because we might have an idea that the Christian faith is going to make everything right. (laughs) And it doesn't. Not in this world. The great news is ultimately it does, but it might not make anything, everything right in this world. In fact, Paul goes on to say, in, in essence, it made it worse. 
But the reason it made it worse is because I am in a spiritual battle. That's what I'm involved in. And then he goes on in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14, he goes on to describe this, the nature of this spiritual battle and his vision of it. And he says this, Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. He's saying this, Jesus, who has died, raised to life, and is now the king on the throne in heaven, is in this world now leading a triumphal procession. That was a culturally really important phrase that he used. It had meaning. It was rooted in the Roman Empire. Uh, the idea was that every time the Roman, em Roman emperors or the Caesars or one of the great generals of the Roman Empire went out to battle, what they would do is they would return to Rome. Uh, and part of that triumphal return to Rome was that they would bring all of the captives with them. They would, the captives, captives would follow. Uh, and they would be, if you like, the indication of the success of the general. All these captives following. Uh, the Emperor Hadrian, I, I think I've got this, uh, general, general Hadrian at the time, I think, returned and uh, they produced enough captives to crucify for 30 miles on the road into Rome, those who had been taken, one by one, 30 miles of crucified uh, captives. It was this huge proclamation of the success. Now look at what Paul is saying. He's saying that the ascended Jesus, who is on the throne, is the one who currently is leading that procession. The implications are that the, the idea of Jesus is returning to that glory of heaven over time. He's making this journey and behind him are all of the captives. Now as, um, as Roman, uh, for, uh, our allegiance would be to Rome I guess if we were living in that day and we were part of the successful team, uh, we would join that procession. We would add to the number so that as that kind of number, that procession goes through, by the time it arrives at Rome, there is this colossal number of people who have all joined as part of that procession. You've seen it, haven't you? Um, the final hole on the Masters, uh, the 18th on the last day. You've, those of you who haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, that's golf. That's the starting point. It's golf. Uh, and then what you see, assuming that it's clear who's won, you see um, the, this cordon. And they walk up the final fairway with the winning players wandering through with a bit of an entourage following them. And then this mass of following spectators who are all following the winners. That is, imagine that multiplied by countless numbers. Paul is saying this. That the risen Jesus 
is parading through this world with captives and others following him. Now, as we join, now the great news is this. Those captives are not going to be sacrificed. They're a treasure. That's, That's the good news. We're not destined to be crushed. We're destined to be honored. But what Paul is saying is that the work of God in this world is being worked out by Jesus who is on the throne. That doesn't limit it, does it, to just the group of people who believe in Jesus. That means that in some way, Jesus is uh, being seen in this world by people who don't believe in him, by people who don't follow him. The work of God is being worked out in this world by the risen Jesus. That's what he's saying. The risen Jesus is working it out. What's the key burning issue in the world today? What is the number one issue? The one that we are really, really concerned about. Global warming, maybe? Oil reserves depleted? Maybe we're really worried about the, the declining numbers of bees. The fact that pollinators are declining. That's a huge, seemingly huge threat to humanity. Maybe an asteroid collision. What is the biggest thing that is going on in the world at this moment in time? It takes a massive shift in perspective to see that the biggest thing that is going on is not any of those. It's not any of those. It is the procession of Jesus through the world as he gathers those who are dear to him and join his triumphal procession. That is the biggest thing. Bigger than anything. The fact that the message of Jesus is progressing, is developing. And you might be listening to this, you might be thinking, this is just strange. How can that possibly be the biggest thing? The reason it's the biggest thing is because it has eternal implications. All of those other things, they only matter for the here and now. But the, the idea of Jesus, who has stepped out of the here and now and has entered into the eternal dimension, is actually connected back into the here and now through the procession of his people means that it is the biggest thing that is going on. The progress of his word in this world. Do you think like that? Has that gripped you, taken a hold of you, so that you are living day to day where that is bigger than anything else? It's, you know, if global warming was really about to hit us tomorrow as the biggest issue, 
and it was going to have a massive impact literally tomorrow, we would be really concerned about it, wouldn't we? If in some way it could have an immediate devastating impact, we would be really concerned about it because we could see it. Then Paul is saying, look, you've got to understand that bigger than that, because it has eternal implications, is the ascended Jesus who is parading through this world with his message. It speaks to you, whether you believe it or not. You know, the the procession, if you like, can pass by you. You can look on and you can decide to ignore it. You can decide to ignore it. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have massive implications. Because those implications are not just about now, they're about eternity. Because Jesus has ascended. Secondly, we see that the focus is on his people as the means for that procession. So he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. I think that, I mean, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He used words which were, were the inspiration of God. And at the same time, in some way, that the, the character of Paul is seen in the way that he writes. Look, at that is a, and just an amazing, evocative idea, isn't it? The idea of this aroma... <laughs> You can't, you can't quite get hold of an aroma, can you? You know, you, know, you can't grab it and it's just there. It's an aroma which is spreading, which is permeating. It's a sweet aroma. It's a good aroma. It's the kind of aroma that, you know, maybe you've been on holiday and uh, you've got to the end of the day and you're trying to decide where to eat and you're walking down the, uh, the main street of the city or the, or the uh, resort or whatever it is where, you, where you're about to um, decide what to eat and you might walk past, um, I don't know, you might be in Spain and you walk, might walk past a tapas bar and it's just like this waft that comes through that just grabs a hold of you and it causes you to stop It causes you to turn around and it causes you to look on the window and say, what's that menu in there? And you decide, oh, absolutely. Those little potatoes with the hot spicy sauce, uh, fantastic. And you know that, um, that spicy sausage? Or maybe it's another aroma that grabs you. Maybe it's fish and chips on Whitby front and it just permeates out and it just grabs you. But as that aroma captures you, it causes you to respond, doesn't it? And as you are grabbed by that aroma and you respond, you then partake of that food. And here's the thing. Paul is saying to those who believe and trust in Jesus that we are to be that aroma. Now, the great thing is we are that aroma. 
We said right at the beginning, there is a sense in which we can live our lives and there are times when we fail. And yet at the same time, this is written to the Corinthian church, which is in a mess, which is saying, don't carry on being in a mess. He's saying, change and become an aroma which represents the procession that you are in. Did you get that? Be an aroma that represents the procession that you are in. Here's the thing. The day-to-day lives that we live, the things that we do, the things that we say, the attitudes that we have are not disconnected on a day-to-day basis from our claims of faith. They are the aroma which permeates through this world and becomes, if you like, or it should become, that imperceptible flavor at times, which might cause somebody who you know really well, who's a good friend, a work colleague, whatever it might be, to stop and turn and to look at the menu. And then there might be the opportunity for you to say, let me just explain the menu to you. Let me explain the menu. Tell you what's on the menu. And you will never do any more than that. I will never do any more than that. Because finally the work of partaking in that meal is based on the work of God in that individual's life. In fact, the fact that you are even an aroma in the first place is because God is working in you. Do you think like that? Do we think like that? Are our minds set on the idea that I wake up this morning and my task in this world, because the ascended Jesus is the most important thing in the whole of human dimension, in the whole of the cosmos, do I wake up and say my procession as part of that glorious procession where Jesus is at the forefront, am I waking up thinking, I'm getting up thinking, how am I going to live today as part of that procession? Or am I waking up thinking, how am I going to solve global warming or work out what to buy for my shopping today? I know that those things are key. In fact, they are the very things by which the aroma is permeated. The living it out day by day. The fact that we work out what to buy in the shops on the basis of the fact that we're on, an, on a, a, a procession where we are to be an aroma. The fact that we are engaged on the biggest issues in this world, like global warming, like injustice, like uh, peace, because we are the aroma of Jesus' procession through this world. That's the thing. Do we think like that? Or do we live our lives where we have this silo, where we think, okay, I I do my Christian thing when I do my quiet time, when I pray in the car on the way to work, when I sit down with my Christian friends, when I go to church, or do I think of the idea that the whole of my life is encompassing the implications of me being part of that aroma that permeates this world? 
It's remarkably challenging, isn't it? But the reason why we change, the reason why little by little our desires are reorientated is because Jesus has ascended and because Jesus is the one who is at the head of the procession ensuring the success of the mission. (laughs) He's at the head. He's not shouting from heaven saying, keep on going, I'll be with you in a bit. He's at the head of the procession. He is the one who is ensuring the success. He is the one who is engaging in the work first and foremost. Because the aroma that we are permeating is Him. Jesus lived, died, raised, returned, and returning. He is at the very center of what we proclaim. And we are the focus of that. The implications of this are universal goes on to say just that. Look at what it says in verse 15. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. (laughs) We are the pleasing aroma of Christ. Can I just suggest, find an opportunity this week to just stop and for a while meditate, ponder, think, what does it mean to be the pleasing aroma of Christ? Just spend some time. Take some time to think, what does it mean for me to be the pleasing aroma of Christ? It goes on to say, we are the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. That's bizarre, isn't it? We're the pleasing aroma for those who are being saved and for those who are perishing. In other words, the news of Jesus is pleasing, full stop. But there are different responses, and this is why it is universal. To the one, we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Who is equal to such a task? I'm glad he adds that bit because it means that I rely on Jesus. But think about that. It has universal implications. It has implications for all of us here this afternoon. You might have been coming along for quite a long time now. You might have been thinking about this message of Jesus for quite a long time. You might be right on that point of saying, I think I'm going to reject it. The rejection of the message of Jesus, which is good, brings death. That's, I, you know, there's times when you, you look at a text and you think, I wish that there was another way. 
to say what you need to say, but there isn't. But the message of the receipt of Jesus as good news brings life. It's straightforward. We, we see the triumphant procession in a sense is what Paul is saying. We, we observe, we have that flavor that kind of permeates around us. But our accountability is not finally to those who are in the procession. Our accountability is to the one who is the leader and the focus of that procession. And ultimately, our rejection of that one who is at the head of the procession brings eternal judgment. It brings that. It's that serious. But the great news is it also brings life. It brings life. Eternal hope. That's why it's just the biggest thing in the whole of the cosmos in terms of issue. It's a life and eternal life and eternal death issue. The other stuff is small in comparison. And yet what we see here is that the risen, ascended Jesus is processioning through this world and we are the means by which that procession is permeating. But He is the focus. I I want to just ask you this afternoon two things. Maybe... Maybe you would say, I really believe in, in that. I've, my hope is in that. But I know that the life that I'm living is not shaped like that aroma. I know that the life that I'm living is shaped way differently. I, if you leave here deciding, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to work hard to be a better aroma. You're just on a hiding to nothing. But when you fill your mind with the focus of what that aroma is, then you are on a journey to ongoing change. Maybe you're here thinking, hmm, it's interesting. Can I encourage you, can I plead with you that you would continue to address and think about the issue of Jesus ascended who is the one who is the hope of life. And yet the rejection of him is the fear of death.